Mataji is also chairing the SAC, that is Shastra Advisory Committee, which is uh, giving advice to the GBC about from the Shastras. She is a very dynamic preacher, travels all throughout the world for preaching Krishna consciousness. Especially she is an educationalist and her classes are very well appreciated by the wide variety of audience who she preaches to. She has the uncanny ability of uh, asking that troubling question because educators task okay. is <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been harassing him all morning. <laughs> and I've been learning so much today. So the, the two people who actually teach the person, you, know, you have to ask the troubling question because otherwise they don't challenge the assumptions and don't change their thinking process. So come, let's welcome Her Grace Guruna Mataji by loudly chanting three times Hari 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 This is the preacher cup. Mataji, <laughs> these are the uh, IIT students. All of them are studying from second year to fourth year, like that. They have been chanting 16 rounds from minimum around one year. Uh, they are practicing properly, very properly. They stay here itself in this place. So this is the this is the place where they do the morning program from 4.15 a.m. till 7.30, 7.30. And after that they go to the college. So how are you here now? Uh, this is the vacation. I see, okay. So five or six more days I'm living for the vacation. Oh, so I'm very fortunate. I will express my gratitude that I'm, <laughs> that I'm here when you have a vacation. So this is a very nice program. So you have a place where the students can live and go to school. Yes. Very nice. That's wonderful. And you run this. I am sorry. Very nice. We have this in America, in Gainesville, in Florida. We have a Krishna house and the students can live. But we also have, we also let non-devotees live there. They have to chant at least eight rounds and they have to go to the morning program. And many of them become devotees. We have one in Michigan also. So this is a, it's a very valuable thing to have, you know? Some place where you can go to school but be with devotees. You are all happy this is here? This is 9th of January 2019. And what is this called? IIT Chennai Boys. IIT Chennai Boys? That's what it's called. IIT Chennai Boys? Okay. Oh, voice. Voice. Okay, but this is the IIT Chennai Boys. And we're going to be looking at Canto 2, Chapter 9, Text 34. Did you all read the verse and purport already on your own? I hope. No, you didn't. Okay. Did you know I was going to speak on this verse? Some of Most of you didn't know. Okay, this is, um, it's just hard because the purport is very, 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 very long. This is one of the longest purports and but this verse also is in the Adi Lila of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. It also has a long purport. So, I'm, I'm not. Well, how long are we supposed to go to? It's about 11 o'clock. We're going to what? Uh, we have 90 minutes. We have 90 minutes. So we can go to like 12:30. Um, and you all have something to write on? Something to write with? So first of all, you should know that this sloka is one of the most important slokas in the Bhagavatam. So it's part of what we call the Chatur Sloka, which just means the four verses. But this, these are the four verses that were spoken 
by the Lord to Brahma. I mean, there's more verses in this chapter spoken by the Lord to Brahma. But these four are the heart. And you could say, how are you doing with my English? Am I slow enough? Anybody struggling with my English? You go to English medium schools, yes? Yes? But probably it's Indian speaking, yeah? So a little different. If I speak too fast, you tell me, yeah? Okay? Or if I say something in English you don't understand? All right? You may have some difficulty with my American accent, my New York American accent. Just tell me. Okay? Is that agreement? Uh, this is the, the four essential verses that were spoken by, by the Lord, by Lord Vishnu, to Lord Brahma, and the whole Bhagavatam expands from here. So these verses are extremely important because these are at the root of our Vaishnava philosophy. So when you look in the Shastra, Every statement in the Shastra is absolutely true, but most of the statements in the Shastra are absolutely true for a particular circumstance. Like you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says to Arjuna, stand and fight. Is that an absolutely true statement? Yes. But is it absolutely true for everybody all the time? No, otherwise why are we sitting down? So should we all stand up now and fight? You ready? So that would mean 24 hours a day we should be standing up, no sleeping, and only fighting. Or like Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, for one who's been honored, dishonor is worse than death. You all read Bhagavad Gita, yeah? Yes? Yes? Then a few verses later, he says, you should act without concern for honor and dishonor. You think about this. One verse he says, if you've already been honored, better to die than be dishonored. So painful. Dishonor is really painful for someone who's been honored. That was an argument to Arjuna as to why you should fight. You've been honored. If you don't fight, you'll be dishonored. And that will be worse than your dying. Just a few verses later, he says, who cares about this honor and dishonor business? So, you can see that both of those verses, dishonor is worse than death, and be detached from honor and dishonor, they are both in a context From a certain point of view, an honorable person should care about being dishonored. That's actually important. If you're an honorable person, it should matter to you whether or not you are dishonored. That is a big motivation for people to act properly. But from another point of view, one should act without concern for honor or dishonor. Both are true, both are absolutely true but from a different viewpoint. Correct? If we say to people in general, who cares for honor and dishonor? 
then they will engage in sinful activities. Correct? If we say, no, 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 you should want to be honored and not dishonored. Dishonor is worse than death. Oh, then I have to behave honorably. But actually, you shouldn't care about honor and dishonor. But these four verses in the Bhagavatam are what I would call trans-contextual. To say dishonor is worse than death, that is for a certain person at a certain time, certain circumstance. It's absolutely true, but it is not absolutely true for all people at all times and all places and all circumstances. And to say be detached from honor and dishonor is also absolutely true, but it is not meant for all people in all times and all places and all circumstances. But these four verses are absolutely true for absolutely everybody, absolutely anytime, absolutely any place. In fact, the fourth verse of these four verses says exactly that. That this is for all times, all places, all living entities, always. So it is very important when we are studying the scripture to distinguish between these two kinds of statements. Statements that are true for everybody, all the time, every place, every circumstance, and statements that you have to understand what's going on, who's talking to whom, what is the situation. And these four verses, being the essence of the Bhagavatam, are really a statement of Siddhanta. Siddhanta means the conclusion. These verses are not a religious belief. They have nothing to do with a particular society. They have nothing to do with a particular ethnicity. They have nothing to do with anything of the relative world. These are verses that are true if you are a Muslim, if you are a Christian, whether you are old, whether you are young, anything. Whatever is your job, whatever is your time of life. So anything else that we study from the Shastra or from what Prabhupada said, we can compare to something like these four verses to see, is this other statement also a statement that is true for everybody at all times and all places? Or it is something that is true under certain circumstances. So if you know these four verses, you can take anything else and compare it to them. Is this... Do you understand? You know these four verses. So then Narada Muni says something. You take what Narada Muni says, you look at these four verses. Is he saying the same thing? If he's saying exactly the same thing, then it's also something that is universally true always. If he's saying something that's an application of these if he's saying something that's an application of these then you can understand that it's something that's the truth applied to some circumstance and there's a third possibility the third possibility is sometimes there's things in the Shastra or from the Acharyas that are meant to bring people to truth and are not themselves absolutely true at all. Like when Prabhupada's talking about Subhash Chandra Bosch. That's, that's not Siddhanta at all. He's talking about something in history. His purpose in talking about anything is to bring people to the Siddhanta. 
So we have three kinds of statements by Shastra and our Acharyas. One is Siddhanta. One is Siddhanta applied. And the other is supporting Siddhanta. So we have Siddhanta, Siddhanta applied, and support to Siddhanta. Yeah, if we're talking about how to study in school, that's not Siddhanta, and it's not Siddhanta applied. It's something that will su- support Siddhanta. You understand? Is everybody clear about this? Yes? Okay. And that's very important, because when you're trying to understand what does Prabhupada mean, what does the Shastra mean, what does Nauru really mean, this is one of the first questions that you ask. Now, in order to be able to answer that question, is it Siddhanta, applied Siddhanta, or something supporting Siddhanta? Logically, you have to know what is Siddhanta. So if you are all engineers, yeah? You're all engineers? You're all computer people, yeah? Are you all computer people, or some of you are other engineering? Huh? Different, different. Different, okay. But everyone's in the STEM, yeah? Everyone's in the STEM. You're all in science, math, engineering, yeah? So you're all logical people, correct? Yes? Yes? So you can follow my logic. Yes? That's so nice. One thing about being logical is you have to realize that the vast majority of the world is illogical and has never studied logic. And if you try to discuss with them or anything on the basis of logic, they can't do it and it's very frustrating. So it's nice to have... Thank you, Krishna. I'm great expressing my gratitude for that too. It's nice to have an audience of logically trained persons. So what is Siddhanta? That may also be difficult to understand. If we're going to say the whole Bhagavatam is Siddhanta, that's too confusing. But these four verses are a concise statement, like sutras. You know, sutra, it's like a... Sutra means a thread. It's something small that opens you up to something big. So these four verses, they're like a concise form. They're like burfi. Yeah? Everybody gets very happy with this. It's like, you say, oh, does she have some in her pocket? So they're like, it's like burfi. You're taking the essence of milk, boiling, 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 boiling. So these four verses you should try to understand thoroughly. And they are in Bhagavatam, they are they're in this section of the Bhagavatam in 2 9. They're also in Adi Lila. They're in Adi. Okay. Alright, we're going to look at this verse 34, 2 9 34. So if you can have that open. Do you all have Bhagavatam? Do you all have some access? Phone, computer, memorized, your heart. Physical book, phone, computer, heart, any of those will do. Don't have that look in your friend's heart.
Okay, let's look at the Sanskrit. You all have the Sanskrit? You can access it? Yeah. Everybody? Yes. Okay. So we have Rite Artam becomes Rite Artam. What's Arta? Something, of that, something you want. Like sometimes Prabhupada translates Arta as wealth. Something you want. Yat Pratyeta. Na Pratyeta. Chapnei. Yat Pratyeta. Na Pratyeta. Tad Vidya Atmano Mayam. Yata basho yata tamaha. What is abasa? What is an abas? An illusion, a shadow, a reflection. And tamaha? This verse gives the definition of illusion or maya. What is maya? Let's read the English together. O Brahma. Together, O Brahma, whatever appears to be of any value, if it is without relation to me, has no reality. Know it as my illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. Can we say this about, let's say this five times, and then I want to see if you can say it without looking. I want us to try to really, these are the such important verses in the Bhagavatam. Let's say this five times together and then let's see without looking if we can say it. O Brahma, whatever appears to be of any value, if it without relation to me, has no reality. Know it to be by illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. O Brahma, whatever appears to be of any value, if it has no relation to me, has no reality. Know it as my illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. O Brahma, whatever appears to be of any value, if it is without relation to me, has no reality. Know it as my illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. O Brahma, whatever appears to be of any value, if it has no relation to me, no reality. Know it as my illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. O Brahma, whatever appears to be a value, if it is without relation to me, has no reality. Know it as my illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. Okay, without looking, who thinks they can say it? Uh, whatever appears to be of value, if it is, a, if it is without relation to me, uh, know it to be of no value. Uh, know it to be my illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. Good, 99% right. Excellent. Somebody else? As much as you can get. So, Brahma, whatever appears to be, in, uh, whatever appears to be have any value, uh, if it is without relationship to me, has no reality. Knowing uh, to be it's my illusory energy, knowing to be as a deflection in darkness. Very good. 99.9. Excellent. Somebody else want to try? Even if you just get 80%. Try. Somebody. We'll try for 70%. 60%. <coughs> Somebody want to try 
Yes. Oh Brahman, whatever appears to be of any value, if it has no relation uh, to me, it has no reality. Knowing it has my imaginary energy, which appears, reflection which appears to, uh, which ap uh, reflection which appears to be in dark. There's 99% too. Thank you. Very nice. Somebody else try. Even if you get 50%. Anybody want to try for 50%? Yes. Oh, oh Brahma. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, that what appears to be of value, if it is without relation to me, uh, it has no reality. Know it to be my illusory energy, that uh, re reflection which appears in darkness. Okay. Let's think about the meaning. So we're looking at something that appears to have? Appears to have value. But if it doesn't have, if it doesn't have any relationship to Krishna, then it has no reality. So it looks like it has value. It looks like it has value. But if it's not related to Krishna, it has no reality. It's not real. What is it? It's Krishna's illusory energy which is compared here by a, in a metaphor to a a shadow or reflection in darkness. So it's darkness and there's a mirror in a dark room. And there's a reflection on the mirror. That of course implies that there's some light somewhere. But the reflection itself cannot light up the room. The reflection appears separate from the object that is being reflected in it. So, in looking at this verse, we have some questions about our own life that this verse will answer. First is, what's real and what's false? Now, why do we want to know what's real and what's false? Well, it's very practical. Have you ever accidentally tried to walk through a glass door? Have you ever done that? No, have you ever seen anybody do that? I'm sure you've seen a video of somebody walking, trying to walk through a glass door. Or you're not paying attention, your mind is on something else and you walk into the wall instead of the door. Have you ever done that? Okay. walk tried to walk on the water and he picked up his clothes for the land. So we want to know what is true and what is false. Otherwise, we won't know how to behave. We have a uh, museum in Italy where, like here you see you have a molding at the bottom of the ceiling and it has raised designs. If I went up there with a ladder and I put my hand, it would feel, I would feel a texture on the white. But in our museum in Italy, it's completely flat, but they have painted it to look like this. So you look at the ceiling, and it looks like it's all carved. But it's not. They've done on the bottom of the wall also. Like, you know, you have the molding at the bottom of the wall. Yes, this molding here. So there, there's none. But it looks like it's a molding about this high with all carved designs. And when you just walk in the room, you look at it, you just, you don't think about it because it's a museum. You're looking at the paintings on the wall. You're not really looking at these things. So you just, your mind just says, oh, it is like that. But I was there with the artist 
And he said, Ramila, feel the wall. I'm sure you have seen many things. They look like it's 3D and it's not. Just some flat painting, right? Looks like it's 3D. But if we don't know what is real and what is false, then we will do the false thing and we won't understand why we are not happy. If I try to walk out of this room by going through the wall, I will get hurt. But if I don't understand what is a wall and what is a door, I will not be happy. So this is the main question in life. What is good? What is bad? What will bring me happiness and what will bring me distress? What's good for me? What's bad for me? This is the question we ask from the time we are very small babies. And we pick up everything and we put it in our mouth. You've seen babies. Why are they doing this? Because that's their only way of knowing is as good as is bad. Because they're on the Anamoya platform, they're on the food platform. So good, bad is just does it taste good, does it not taste good? You understand? This is the, the question in life. It doesn't matter if you are in 18 or 20 or 30. Is this going to satisfy me or is it not going to satisfy me? That, that is really the only thing we are asking. Is this something good or is this something bad? Well, to know that, I have to know what is real and what is false. Because something false will be bad. By definition. Must be. Like if I want to eat, I have to eat real food. I have to eat food that is actually designed to be something that will nourish my body. Yes? Like my food comes from the dirt, but if I eat the dirt, it won't work. I mean, there are earthworms that can eat dirt, but, but my body is not designed for eating dirt. There are creatures that eat wood, like beavers eat wood. But I, I cannot do that. For me, wood is false as a food. Everyone understand? So Krishna is explaining here what is real and what is false. What will make you happy and what will not make you happy. And for those of us who are trying to be devotees, we have a question, what's a spiritual desire and what's a material desire? This is a very big question. <coughs> Everybody is asking this question if they're Hare Krishna devotees. The people on the street are not asking this question. They're just saying, what's good, what's bad? But we're saying, what's a spiritual desire? What's a material desire? What is spiritual? What is material? Some people try to make it very, very simple and say, well, if your body is geographically in the temple building and your hands are on Tulsi wood and your mouth is saying the Hare Krishna mantra, that's spiritual. And if your body is in your university and you're watching the board and you're writing down formulas, that's material. So many people try to understand it like that. A very simplistic, really childish way to understand what is material and what is spiritual. What is the desire of the Lord? What does the Lord want me to do? This is another big question that Hare Krishna people ask. What does Krishna want? 
And this verse is the key to the answer to all of these questions. What is good? What is bad? What is a spiritual desire? What is a material desire? What is spiritual? What is material? What does the Lord want? Oh, anybody who has a mobile phone, can you put it on vibrate, please? You're all engineers. You should know how to do that. Yes? Sometimes you get these people, they're like 95 and they don't know how to put their phone on vibrate. I just saw this with a meeting, these two really, really old people. Their phones were ringing and ringing and ringing and they had to give it to some 20-year-old to figure out how to put it on vibrate. Can everybody take out their phones right now and put them on vibrate, please? Take it out, look at it, put it on vibrate, please. Or airplane mode or something. Okay, so here it's very interesting. What is Krishna's answer to this question? Anyone tell me, just from reading the verse, how does Krishna answer this question? doesn't have a relation with Krishna is not real. It's a reflection of the darkness. Does anybody have a problem with this? He should. He should all have a problem with this. Everybody should have a problem with that answer. It's the right answer. He should all have a problem with it. He should all have a question or a problem or a doubt about that answer. Yes? Like, uh, usually energy wasn't a part of the Krishna you know? So... Anybody else want to also answer in maybe in a different way? What is the problem? What is the doubt? What is the question with that answer? It's the right answer. Everything is coming from Everything has a relationship with Krishna, even even the illusory energy. <laughs> that answer makes this verse one of those like kind of verses everything has a relationship with Krishna so what is illusion illusion has a relationship with Krishna so there's no illusion but he says there is an illusion he says right here yat yat tamaha it is a reflection that appears in darkness not pratyata it's not real there's something not real that's a reflection that appears to be in darkness but the definition of the unreal is something without relation to Krishna and everything has a relationship to Krishna so he's saying there's something that's not real but yet we know there's nothing and in fact in the previous verse remember I told you there's four verses yeah the four key verses previous verse says, Brahma, it is I who was existing before the creation when there was nothing but myself, nor was the, the material nature, the cause of the creation. That which you see now is also I, the personality of Godhead, and after annihilation what remains will also be I, the personality of Godhead. So Krishna already said, everything is only me. There is nothing else but Krishna before the creation, during the creation, after the creation. 
see if we can try to figure this out. <laughs> you think we're going to be able to figure it out? We have an hour. The greatest mystery. The greatest... This is, my dear friends, this is the greatest philosophical mystery. Of all the philosophical mysteries that you will encounter, this is the greatest one. And we're going to have it figured out in the next hour. Probably not. But anyway, we'll try. At at least we'll chip away at it. At least we'll end up with some gratitude. We'll end up with some appreciation. And we'll end up with knowing how to go forward. Will we fully understand this? Forget it. (coughs) That's not going to happen. But we'll have a lot of fun trying. We're going to have a lot of fun trying to figure this out. And we'll get a lot of practical guidance for our life and process. So, Prabhupada's explaining in this purport that we have to know both the illusion and the reality. And indeed, Krishna is saying in this verse, the illusion and the reality. So that's part of Krishna's answer. You have to know, if you want to know what to do and not to do, you have to know what is illusion and what is reality. Does that concept of having to know what is illusion, am I still okay with speed because I've sped up a little bit? Am I okay? Yes. 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 You back there, who's behind you? Is that okay with my speed? Does this remind you of anything? This concept of knowing both the illusion and reality. Anything else that you know of in any other book that might, like, yeah. Very good. I was wondering. You said they've been practicing for about a year, so I'm thinking more than okay. Do they know all that kind of stuff or not? Yes. Anybody know what it says in Isha Upanishad? Uh huh. Do you remember the Sanskrit? If any chance, anybody know? Vidya and Avidya, and the other one. There's two sets of three verses each. Six verses, three and three. Vijin Avijya and Sambutam Sambutam. Did you put more water in this? Magic cups. It's like I'm going to take this with me. There's a story like that we have in one of our children's books that uh, this little boy is just being raised by his mother, very poor. He is going to school. And uh, the teacher said, we're going to have a big festival. Everyone has to bring some food for the festival. And what are you going to bring? 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 The little boy didn't know what to say because they were so poor. So finally he said, well, I'll bring some, you know. I think he went home. He went home and asked his mother. She said, you can say you'll bring some yogurt. So he goes back the next day and he says, I'll bring yogurt. And then he was saying to his mother, well, how are we going to bring yogurt? You know, curds, how are we going to bring we don't have anything. And she said, well, I've heard that Dina Bandhu, the friend of the poor, uh, he will give. And the little, little boy, you know, who's this friend of the poor? Oh, he lives in the forest. The sages find him in the forest. So the little boy goes in the forest, Dina Bandhu, Dina Bandhu, Dina Bandhu, Dina Bandhu. And then Krishna shows up. Wouldn't that be nice? And he says, what do you want? He said, my teacher is asking for us to bring some food for the festival and my mother said I should bring yogurt but we don't have any maybe Krishna told him to bring yogurt I don't remember exactly anyway so 
Krishna says, come back on the day of the festival. So the day of the festival, the boy goes to the forest, Dina Bandhu, Dina Bandhu. And Krishna gives him, you know, one of those little, 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 little cups? Like the Bengalis put the misty dahi in it, do you know? This big. So he brings this little cup. It's for a big festival, you know, he brings it to the school. And he gives to his teacher, here's my contribution. The teacher gets very angry. And he gets so angry that he actually pours it out. Worthless. And he looks, and of course it is, again, full. It's a nice story. Maybe you've heard that story? Okay. So in the Ishapanishad, again, again, right? And sambutim, sambutam. One has to know both. And, it, and Krishna says, assuming it's Krishna speaking, maybe one of the sages, that one who knows both becomes what? Liberated. You have to know both. By the way, that's very practical. Like Prabhupada said, the students, they should not be callous to material subjects. He said this in 76 in Mumbai. He said, they should not think, I only have to know Bhagavad Gita and Bhagavatam, I don't have to learn about the material world. He said, you should not think, because I'm a devotee, I'm callous. He said, the student, the brahmachari, should know everything of something and something of everything. Everything of something and something of everything. You should become expert. And please make sure you become an expert in something that you like. Please. Don't just become expert in something because your mother wanted you to do it become expert in something according to your nature. So we should all become expert in something practical in this world and in the reality, in the ultimate spiritual reality. So we have to know both. We have to know what is illusion and what is reality. And what is real, what is spiritual, are things when they are perceived in their relationship with Krishna. So in one sense, is there any such thing as maya at all? If maya means, what does maya mean again here? Something that has no relation to Krishna. So, is there such a thing? No. Therefore we say, it's an illusion. The whole concept of maya is an illusion. Because everything has a relationship with Krishna. So, reality doesn't exactly mean that the thing has a relationship with Krishna. It means our perceiving the thing in the relationship with Krishna. So illusion isn't something that has no relation to Krishna. Illusion is my awareness of the relationship to Krishna is not operative. And the energy that allows that to happen is also related to Krishna. Think of it like, like if a child's playing in a room and the parent is in another room and the door is closed. The child cannot see the parent. And so the child is thinking, my parents is, are not here and therefore I will do things that I'm normally not allowed to do. Did we all do this in our lives? Yes, we've been in our room at home and our parents were not in the house or the door was closed and so we're like, oh great, 
now I'll do something that my parents would not be happy with. Yes, we have all done this. If you are normal human beings, I assume everybody has done this. Okay, that is Maya. We're not seeing, this is my parents' house. You understand? Just because I cannot see them in the house right now, they are at work or they're in the other room, but it's still their house. But suddenly I am seeing the house as if it has no relationship to them. And I am using things in the house in a way that is not their intended use by the owners of the house. It, it's just that simple. Now, of course, when I do this in my parents' house, I retain my awareness that I am doing something wrong and that at any moment my parents may return and I may be in some kind of trouble. I am just hoping that I am, you know, favored by good fortune for them to return after I am finished doing whatever it is that I don't want them to be aware of. With Krishna, the illusion is pretty much complete. So I lose my awareness that I am in Krishna's house. Almost completely. In my parents' house, I never completely forget, right? We're going, to, we're going out to the store. We'll be back at 5 o'clock. And I'm thinking, okay, all right, it's only 2. If I watch that movie, I should be finished by 4, and they're not coming back till 5. What is it? Two hours and ten minute movie. Okay, that'll do it. And then while we're watching the movie, we're thinking, Shh, come back. Right? Yes? Well, with Krishna, we forget completely. We're just like, my house. My TV. My movie. I can do what I want. We forget. We don't think he's going to walk in the door. We don't think he's already there. We, we actually forget. We still have some sense somewhere that what we're doing is not quite right. There's something somewhere where we have a sense that I'm doing something that's not quite right. That something, something's funny. Something's wrong. Something, there's something wrong. Which is why when people, you know, like, make a lot of money, have a big career, have a big house, marry a beautiful person, have a flat screen TV in every, you know, room, and a Jaguar, and a BMW in the garage, and their own private jet, and thousands of people falling at their feet, they go, is that it? That, that's it? They all do that. They get all those things that are supposed to be success, and then they say, that's it. Because there's some sense that something is wrong. But you don't know exactly what's wrong. Something's wrong. Well, maybe I didn't marry the right person, or maybe I didn't get the right kind of car, or maybe I didn't get the right kind of career, or maybe I built my house in the wrong place, or something like that. Maybe I just didn't work hard enough. You know, but there's some sense that something's off. We don't really know what it is. But that energy that allows us to not see the obvious is 
also Krishna's energy. Krishna says, I am also forgetfulness. The ability to forget Krishna. When we are in deep forgetfulness of Krishna, guess what? Who's giving us that forgetfulness? Guess who we didn't get away from? When I'm in Maya, whose Maya is it? Guess who I didn't get away from? He's right there. You know, it's like for the little, little, little baby when you go, peekaboo! <laughs> the parent is right there. They didn't go anywhere, but the little baby oh, is scared. So, Maya is this mysterious energy where we're with Krishna and we're related to Krishna and we don't know it. That's what Maya is. And that's what's false. And that's what's bad. And that's what makes us suffer. 100% of our suffering, 100%, even the pain you feel if you bang your elbow, is all due to not seeing the banging your elbow in relationship to Krishna. If you actually see banging your elbow in relationship to Krishna, it is not painful, it's only interesting. There is no pain at all. There is nothing that can be called suffering because Krishna is all good and Krishna is all joyful. 100% of suffering is due to having a consciousness where we don't see Krishna. And I'm not just talking about a philosophical concept. I'm talking about an awareness. In that awareness, one can be in this world and completely unaffected by the dualities of the world. Completely. And to such a person, happiness and distress, fame and infamy, honor and dishonor are all the same. It doesn't mean anything. The dualities don't mean anything because all the dualities are all what happens when we lose that consciousness of Krishna. Now, when we lose the consciousness of Krishna, we think the reflection is the light. And therefore, we take false shelters. We think, my body's going to save me, my mind's going to save me, my family and friends are going to save me, my country, my career, my computer. So this energy of illusion is also a person. What is her relationship? It's a she, by the way. What is her relationship to Krishna? She's Krishna's what? Certainly, but more than that. Sister. Yes, she's Krishna's sister. She's Krishna's sister. And uh, 
we are sometimes told by our acharyas that we can pray to Maya Devi to allow us to see Krishna. Now, by the way, being Krishna's sister, do you think she wants us to be aware of Krishna? Yes. yes. So why is she preventing that? That's her seva, yeah. What? Because of our desire, yes. There's quite an interesting statement in this purport to that effect. Okay, I have some things we can do, but we'll do that in a minute. Okay, in the purport in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Adi 154, is where we'll also find this sesan, this purport, but it's another purport on this verse. Prabhupada said, one must also understand the relative truth to actually know the absolute. Which again reminds us of the Ishopanishad. Understanding how Maya works is essential. If you just try to understand how Krishna works and you don't try to understand how Maya works, you're going to end up thinking Maya is Krishna. You're going to end up confusing them. And it's just like there's there's groups of devotees or pseudo-devotees who say things like, well, Krishna had Vasilila, we can do it too. <coughs> and that's confusing Maya and Krishna. Or, you know, I, I'm going to smoke marijuana and see visions of Krishna. That's confusing Maya and Krishna. So if you don't understand both Maya and Krishna, one will become confused. Therefore, we have to understand both. Srila Prabhupada summarizes this whole verse in Adi 156. He says, This verse further explains that the Lord is detached from the workings of the material energy Maya. The living entities, although parts and parcels of Lord Krishna, are prone to be controlled by the external energy. Therefore, although they are spiritual, in the material world, they are encased in bodies of material energy. The eternal relationship of the living entities with the Supreme Lord is explained in that verse. All right, we, if we say that our bodies are made of material energy, or our mind is material energy, as far as what we talked about in this verse, or if we say this is material energy, what do you think that might mean? I'd like you really just to take a risk here with your answers. Please risk being wrong. I know in, in Indian schools they drum into your head that you should never answer a question unless you're 500% sure that you're right. I know that because anytime I ask audiences who are born in India questions that they're not sure they know the answer to, none of them say anything. And in most of the rest of the world, it's not like that. People are a little bit more courageous to make a mistake. So for a minute, just pretend that you went to some really far-out school in America. And I'd like you to just try. I don't care if you get this completely wrong. I want you to just try. We say, my body's material energy, my mind's material energy, the wall's material energy. It's not spiritual. In the context of this verse, what do you think that means? What do we mean by material energy? to make me forgetful of its relationship with Krishna. Okay. 
Okay, so the body is material because of the way I see it. I see it as mine, or I see it as I. So that would mean the body isn't material, but my way of understanding it is material. Okay. That was, that's an interesting answer. Some other thoughts, yes? Prabhupada says once everything is spiritual, but you're not using any signs of Yes, this is kind of why I'm asking the question. So you're saying it's material because I'm not using it in Krishna service. Okay. Not directly used. Not directly used. Okay. Some other thoughts? Any other thoughts? By the way, if 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 you get this, this is one of these things that if you get it even a little bit, your whole life shifts. There's a number of things like that that if you just you, you don't have to understand it completely because I don't think that's possible. But if you understand it even a little bit, how do you what's the switch? Because we can have this very dualistic view. I'm spirit, the body is matter. That dualistic view is actually taught by us in the Hare Krishna movement. Yes? This is matter, this is spirit. Yes? Any idea why we teach that dualistic view? Yeah? Uh, it's like a starters to get, uh, get us out of some initial illusion. Yes. It's just like when you're teaching children mathematics. You say you cannot do three minus five. You don't allow the five, six-year-olds. If they write three minus five, you tell them that is wrong. Is it wrong? You guys are all doing three minus five all the time, I'm sure. And in the world, people are doing it. It's called debt. Yes? Okay. So it's not wrong. Three minus five is not a mistake. But to the six-year-old, you say, no, that's wrong. In the beginning, if you say everything is spiritual, then people will say, oh, I can smoke, that's spiritual. <laughs> you understand? Oh, I can eat cows, everything's spiritual. Cows, meat is spiritual, I'm spiritual, it's all spiritual. So in the beginning, you have to say, maya is certain behaviors and certain things, that's maya. And other behaviors and other things is Krishna consciousness. And the body is matter and the soul is spirit. You have to say that in the beginning. But it's not ultimately true. Now, if I see everything in relationship to Krishna, well, I want to kill and eat a cow. Why not? Krishna doesn't like it. That's not the way in which he wants the cow to be related to him. He, that's not the kind of relationship he wants between you, him, and the cow. It's like the wall and the door are all related to the building, but in different ways. Yes? So there's a way of using the door in relation to the building. There's a way of using the wall in relation to the building. But they are both equally related to the building. 
The fact that I will get a bruise if I try to walk through the wall doesn't mean the wall has no relationship to the building or no proper function. But that's a step up. First we just say, this is that, that's Maya. Walls are all Maya. Doors are Krishna, walls are Maya. And later we can say, both the doors and the walls are Krishna. They're both related to Krishna, but they have ways of being related to Krishna. So Prabhupada would say, he wrote in a letter about Jayarani when she was sick, that she should take care of her body because the body of a devotee is spiritual. So does that mean that when you put on tilak and you, you chant Hare Krishna, all of a sudden your body is not material anymore? What does it mean? Okay, but what does that mean? As far, it's a matter of a change in your consciousness. And what changes in your consciousness is you become aware of the relationship between your body and Krishna. What is the relationship of your body to Krishna? It's Krishna's energy. Can you be a lot more specific? <coughs> Excellent. Can someone explain to me in what specific way my body is part of Krishna? You told me it's part of Krishna's energy, but you could be a lot more specific. They're all, is they're all great answers. They're all true. Would you all like to go up a step? It is an instrument given to me by Krishna to use it. Oh, very nice. Would you all like to go up a step? Would you, would you like to do something mystical and go up a step? What do you say? Don't tell anybody. <laughs> you think? You want to go up beyond that? Those are all true. You want to go further? Do you want to go further? Yes? No? Shall I show? Okay. So you said the Paramat was in the heart, right? How many Paramatmas are there? One. One. So in the Bhagavad Gita, that the super soul is never divided, he is situated as one. Yes? Okay. Who is that Paramatma? What's his name? Okay. And he is called the super soul. What is his body? Aha, uh-huh, but he has a body. He's the super soul of what body? The Viratman. He's the super soul of the universal body. There's, there's a, the universe is in the form of a body. I mean, in one sense, that's an imagination, but he's in the form of a body, and the soul of that body is Kshirdakshan. Who are we in that body? Yes. We are like little cells in the body. Just like in my hand. My hand is made up of little cells, yeah? They're alive, right? The cells in your hand are alive? Yes? They are? Right? Your heart? Brain? They're alive. Yeah? Right? Do you think my brain cell or my skin cell knows that I exist? Does it have desires? Of course it does. It's alive. What do my skin cells want? Huh? 
That changed suddenly. Oh, no, no. My stem cells have no awareness of that at all. That's happening in my mind. They're not aware of that at all. Okay, I want some moisture. It wants food. Yeah? It wants, wants to live long enough to reproduce. It wants some oxygen for its chemical processes. So it has some desires. It's a soul. It, it's also a nandamaya sat. It also wants to be happy. Each of the cells in my skin, my bones, my muscles, they all want to be happy. They're all like, happy, 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 I want to be happy. Can I be happy? Can I be happy? Can I please be happy? Do you want all the cells of your body to be happy? Are you a slave driver or do you want them to be happy? What kind of a boss are you? Do you, do you drive your body until it like falls over exhausted? Do you, you, you work your bodily cells like a slave driver? Stay up all night studying. Eat lousy food. Right? Or people out there, take some caffeine to pretend that you're awake. No! No! I need rest. Caffeine. <laughs> Imagine doing that to your employees, you know? It's the end of my eight-hour shift. I want to go home. Caffeine. Work longer. <laughs> you know, so what are we doing to ourselves? Do we want them to be happy? So we should want them to be happy because we live in this body, you know. It's our body that we're living in. And if they're not happy, guess what? <laughs> we're not going to be happy either. You know, they'll all join a union and go on strike and rebel. So if we're a good master, if we're the kind of boss we'd like to work under, then we want ourselves to actually be happy. We don't want them to just work for us until they collapse. We want them to be happy. But the way that our selves can be happy is by working for our benefit. Right? Our selves just haven't, they just have a consciousness of their individual existence. They don't really have a consciousness of how they're, of, of our existence or how they're working for us. And in a sense, moving our body along is like, you ever seen a swarm of birds where they all move together? Or fish? That's kind of what our body is. It's all these individual cells and it's just kind of, we're just moving it together. Isn't that cool? So it's kind of like that. We're a cell in Krishna's universal body. He is the big soul. Krishna's the big soul in the universe, like I'm the big soul in my body. And just like I'm just one soul in the body, but I'm aware of, of my skin here, yeah? My awareness, although I'm in one place, my awareness spreads all over my body. I'm aware of how I'm sitting, where I'm positioned in space. Yes? So Krishna is in one place, he's a super soul, but he is aware of all the cells. So he's, his energy is throughout the cells, which is us, like my energy is throughout the cells of my body. So my body is actually part of his universal body. It's a cell in his universal body. And in one sense that's considered the Lord's material body because it's manifested and unmanifested. But in another sense, nothing can be material. Sarva kalami 
as it's part of the Lord's body, it's ultimately also spiritual. In this way, my body is actually spiritual. Now, I can become aware, unlike my skin cell, which has, I will say, most likely close to zero capacity of becoming aware of my existence. Perhaps it can, I don't know. But probably it can't. That'd be pretty cool if it could, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be cool? If all the cells in your body could actually be aware that you exist. Just think this room. If all the cells in my body could be aware that I'm the big boss, and they would all voluntarily want to cooperate with me and with each other. Wow. I'd be completely healthy all the time, wouldn't I? Wouldn't I? I'd have this really dynamic existence. Wouldn't it? But the cells in my body are each interested in their own interest. They're part of me, they're serving my interest, but they're not aware of it. They have their own little agenda going on. And they're kind of almost forced to have my agenda. Now if they don't have my agenda, if they were completely on their own, what do they become? Cancer. So if I become aware that I'm part of the Lord and I voluntarily, happily cooperate, I'm already cooperating, but when I start voluntarily, happily cooperating, then I become happy and he becomes happy. And then I realize that my body has always been spiritual. (coughs) It was never material. Now you can also think of the difference between matter and spirit like this. This wall has no awareness of itself at all, yeah? It's not aware of its existence. I'm aware of my existence. And in that way we can say there's a difference between the soul and matter. Is Krishna aware of the existence of this wall? How? Yes. See, I'm aware of the existence of this wall. But from my vantage point, I can see it, I can touch it, I can hear it. But it's not part of me, yeah? But it's actually part of Krishna. So it's just like the ends of your fingernails, the white parts of your fingernails, or the ends of your hair. So this part of my hair is dead, yes? But I can feel that I'm touching it, yeah? And this part of my nails is dead. I have some awareness of it. Don't you have some awareness? Of your hair? You have some awareness, right? (coughs) Like, I have longer hair than any of you. So I have a bun in the back. And if somebody touches the bun, I'm aware of that. Although my hair is dead. Yeah? Yes? So when I touch this wall, guess who's aware of it? Not because he's seeing it, but he can actually feel it. Because it's part of him. It's not aware of itself. So what makes it external energy is that it's not aware of itself. But it's still spiritual because Krishna is aware of it. So my living skin cell is aware of itself. My dead nail cell is not aware of itself. But I'm aware of both.
Did you like going to this place? Was it a cool place to go? Did, did I lose some of you completely? I went up like several steps from where you were. Did you come with me? Did you have fun? So when I start behaving in that way, see, when we just say use things in Krishna's service, which a lot of you said, and that's all good and that's all wonderful, that can be on the level of a philosophical construct. And it can be on the level of a religion. Did any of you come here to join a religion? I didn't think so. So that can just be on the level of a religious belief. And a set way of acting. Okay, this is how I act. I use things in Krishna service. And that means, okay, I use it for preaching, I use it for worship, I use it to put a book on. It remains on the platform of a belief. But guess what? You're still in Maya. Because you're not experiencing the connection. You have some aware of the connection intellectually. But when we become aware, oh wait a minute, this body is part of Krishna's body. It's actually part of him. He's here. He's, he's within me. His energy is filling me. Like my energy is filling all the cells of my body. Each cell in my hand is filled with its own energy. And guess what? It's also filled with my energy. Both. Now, I want the cells in my hand to be happy. I want them to be happy themselves. I don't just want them to be happy in relation to me. I want them to be happy. But I don't want them to be happy out of relation to me. Does that make sense to you? Krishna wants us to be happy as ourselves. But he doesn't want us to be happy out of relationship with him because that's not possible. Immediately that's in something false. It, it actually has no meaning. It's a reflection in darkness. It doesn't mean anything to be happy out of relationship with Krishna. What does that mean? It means a cancer, basically. Are you able to follow all this? This is really high stuff. You're following it a little bit. Something. Are you at least going, whoa, this sounds interesting. <laughs> That's good enough for now. So Prabhupada says in this purport, the energy of illusion is also an energy of the Lord. But you said that, right? As such, the wrong conception of detaching relationships from the Lord is not false but illusory. Whoa, let's read that again. The energy of illusion is also an energy of the Lord. As such, the wrong conception of detaching relationships from the Lord is not false but illusory. So when I try to separate something from Krishna, this is also one of these like things. If you try to separate something from Krishna, you're not doing something false because you can't separate it from Krishna. You're doing something that's kind of an imagination. Okay, also from the purport. Misconceiving one thing for another is called illusion. This is something Prabhupada says a lot. For example, accepting a rope as a snake is illusion, but the rope is not false. 
The rope as it exists in the front of the illusion person is not at all false, but the acceptance is illusory. Therefore, the wrong conception of accepting this material manifestation as being divorced from the energy of the Lord is illusion, but it is not false. Again, the wrong conception of accepting this material world as being divorced from the energy of the Lord is illusion, but it is not false. And this illusory conception is called the reflection of the reality in the darkness of ignorance. Failing to see the relationship is not false. It's an illusion. It's real because failing to see the relationship is also the energy of the Lord. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from it at all. You, you, you just you can't be in something false because there isn't anything false because everything is absolutely true. So when you're forgetting Krishna, when you don't see the relationship, you're still in something real because Maya Devi is real. If that's confusing, that's good. It is confusing. Here's a nice commentary by Vishnu Chakravati Thakur. Avidya does not destroy real objects but creates misconceptions. In light one sees the objects in a house and does not see imaginary thieves. In darkness one does not see the real objects in a house but just does see imaginary thieves. Similarly, in spiritual knowledge one sees one's spiritual form of eternity, knowledge and bliss. In ignorance one does not see one's eternal, blissful and knowledgeable nature, although it is present. Our real nature is already here. Instead, one sees the body, lamentation, and illusion, although they have no permanent existence. Though flowers and horns exist because they are not related to sky and rabbit, a flower in the sky and a rabbit with horns are false. Similarly, Though bodies and lamentation, confusion, happiness, and distress all exist as expansions of real matter, the body, lamentation, confusion, happiness, and distress are all called false in the scriptures because they have no real relation to the jiva. Though the relation of the jiva with the body is false, it is produced by a vidya and destroyed by vidya. So Prabhupada gives some example of illusion. A scientist who has a theory of creation, maintenance, and destruction that denies God. Doctors who deny the soul but can't bring a dead body back to life. Psychologists, psychiatrists who think mind is the brain. Then there's some talk here of Mahamaya and Yogamaya. So Yogamaya is the energy of union where we use everything for Krishna. And detaching everything from Krishna is Mahamaya. So Maya acts partially and un- partially favorably and partially unfavorably towards us as far as relating us with Krishna. Some actions of Mahamaya actually push us towards Krishna. And some actions of Mahamaya cover us. But Yoga Maya totally pushes us towards Krishna. So material Maya covers objects from view without a spiritual purpose. Yoga Maya covers objects with a specific spiritual purpose. So when Madhya Soda sees the universal form, that's Yoga Maya. Because she still sees Krishna as her child. 
Uh, Vishak Chakravati Thakur says, when Krishna expanded himself to marry both Rukmini and Satchabhama, that's Yogamaya. When he visits Shrutadev and Bhamalasra, that's Yogamaya. They can't see the other one. Right? Krishna's in Raslila, and the gopis only see that Krishna's with them. You just think about that for a minute. There's like millions and billions of gopis. And you think, oh, Krishna's only with me. You know, that's Yogamaya. I mean, you know, if you really thought about it, so these other millions and billions of girls are all dancing alone. You know, Krishna's only with me. I mean, it's sort of ridiculous. But there's so much in this loving relationship with Krishna, they don't see him with the other girls. So that's another case of not perceiving Krishna. Each coward boy thinks Krishna's only looking at me. That this relationship is so strong, they just don't perceive that he's looking at everybody else. So that's a, a kind of not seeing Krishna. But it's a kind of not seeing Krishna that deepens your relationship. So it's called yoga mother. And then Prabhupada says quite a bit in this purport, where it says it in several ways, that no one can become free from darkness by the reflected light of the common man. One has to receive the light from the original light. So, just people who don't understand this reality of the Lord, if they try to explain transcendence and spirituality, they're part of this reflected light, and they can't actually illuminate the darkness. Okay, and in Prabhupada's purport on this verse in Adi 154, it says what I'm going to end with here. Actually, the living entities are not illusory, for they are parts of the superior energy of the Supreme Lord and do not have to be covered by Maya if they do not want to be so. Let me read this again. This is again from C.C. Adi 154, which is the same verse. These four verses are also in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Actually, the living entities are not illusory, for they are parts of the superior energy of the Supreme Lord and do not have to be covered by Maya if they do not want to be so. So, we have this illusion of separateness, of forgetfulness, that this is matter and this is spirit because we want to. And if we don't want it anymore, we won't. And you can say, well, I don't want it anymore. But not wanting it anymore means being willing to be totally dovetailed and surrender to the Lord. It means giving up this idea that I'm going to close the door and God's not here and I'm going to do something that he doesn't like. Then I'm going to have my own little little place, my own little corner of, of separateness and letting go of that completely. And if we still want to keep that little, well, I have my own little separate interest over here. I'm, I'm surrendered to Krishna, but, but not this little thing. Then we still want this covering, because we can't keep that little thing unless we think Krishna's not there. Do you follow? Yeah? When we actually live this verse, we experience... We live this verse, and Maya is gone. Then we see that this is also Krishna, that he's fully aware in this wall, 
We see my body is infused with Krishna's energy. We don't experience the body or mind as material at all. We experience everything is connected with Krishna and we naturally do things in a pious way, not because it's some kind of rule that we're following, not because of some sort of duality, well, this is Maya and this is Krishna consciousness, but because naturally feeling ourselves in relationship to Krishna, experiencing that, experiencing everything in relationship to Krishna, we naturally want to act in ways that are favorable to that connection. We naturally don't want to act in a cancerous way. We, we naturally want to act in that way. And therefore, we appear to be pious. But we're not being pious at all. We're, we're being in harmony with reality. And for such a person, there, there's no, suffering doesn't have any meaning at all. If you break your, your arm, you know you have to get a plaster on it. But you don't experience it as suffering at all. It's just interesting. I was like, oh, that's interesting. To such a person, happiness and distress, honor and dishonor, fame and infamy are all the same. This is what we're trying to achieve in Krishna consciousness. We're not just simply a branch of Hindu religion. So I'm sure we could talk about this verse for a very, 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 very long time. But questions, comments, etc. Yes. Thank you for the question. I just have been having this question for a long time. So if someone's in Maya or illusory energy, so everything they want, everything they seek will be illusory. So how does such a person come to? How does one come out of Maya from Maya? How does one come out of Maya from Maya? Well, Prabhupada was saying here in uh, Adilila that what is it based on? Whether or not we're in Maya is based on what? Our perception. Our desire. Our desire. So it's up to the individual person to change their desire. Absolutely. And how does that actually happen though? Generally, 99.9% of the time. How do we change that desire? Association with somebody who's not in Maya. Even Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Shastra Khoi, Lava Matra, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Siddhi Hoi. Someone who's not in Maya, their whole body and mind is totally spiritualized. They don't have fear. They're not resisting the plan of the Lord in any way. They have no fear. Everything, is, everything about them is in full surrender and love. And that's noticeable by us. Just to be in the presence of somebody at that level, it's, it's, we can perceive there's something different about such a person. And just to be in their association can affect our desire. What to speak if they actually speak or write? You know, if we read something written by such a person or we hear something spoken by such a person, we actually, or what to speak if we follow the instructions of such a person? 
then you can say, well, how do we end up having that association with him in the first place? So this is the great mystery and the great question. This is the question. I mean, in Madhuri Kadamani, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur explains it, that the Lord is neutral. But the devotees of the Lord, knowing that the Lord wants to reconnect with every living entity, but at the same time wants to respect their freedom, knowing that, the devotees take it on themselves to bring Krishna consciousness, to bring consciousness of the truth to people, whether they're asking for it or not. Not to force it on them, but to make it available to them. Because God is neutral isn't doing that. But the problem is it's hard for a conditioned soul to even ask <laughs> when they're completely covered. When a conditioned soul is completely covered, usually all it gets to is, what's going on in this place? What's wrong with this place? So it was funny. That, that's about as far as it can go. Even just to ask without some association of devotees is very, very, it would be possible, but very unusual. So generally the way it works is devotees are just giving out their mercy and people end up liking them or doing something nice for them. Not so much because they're devotees, but just to be a nice person. They'll open the door for them. They'll... Like that bum brought some toilet paper into the... You know, they'll, they'll do something with some devotion. With some feeling of attachment, some emotion. Oh, that's a pretty picture in this book. Prabhupada said if they just touch the book and appreciate Oh, that's a pretty book. <coughs> no, I don't, I don't think I'll take it today. But there's some appreciation. Mm, wow, this is really good. What's your recipe? that there's some emotion on their part to something done by a devotee. That's called agyata sukriti. It's not ordinary karmic sukriti. It's bhakti sukriti, like there's suda, sattva, and sattva. So it's a spiritual kind. Of, and agyata, unknowing, not unknowing in the sense that you're under anesthesia when you open the door for a devotee. It's not that kind of unconsciousness but in other words, you're not doing something for a spiritual purpose. You know, you're doing something because it's your son, and you love your son, who happens to be a devotee. But your, your mood is love. Your mood is affection. But because your son is a devotee, it counts as a get to supriti. And when that piles up, when the Agyata Sukriti reaches a certain critical mass, whatever that is, it, it kind of awakens you a little bit. And it awakens you enough to go, I want truth. However that comes out. I want God, I want truth, I want a guru, I want enlightenment, I want to see reality. I want something other than material life. What's going on here? What's the purpose of life? Who am I? Why am I suffering? Exactly how that comes out is going to be different for each individual. But there's some cry of the soul. There's some actual genuine something from the soul. I want. And then Krishna responds to that. He's like, yep, there we go. Okay, now we're rolling. And as soon as that happens, as soon as that comes from the soul, 
But this, the devotees are giving this opportunity. They're just giving the opportunity, giving the opportunity, giving the opportunity, giving the opportunity. You know, you walk past the Hainan party and go, ch And you have fun for two minutes, dancing to the holy name. You, you, there's some pleasure. There's, some, there's something on your part that is emotive. And as that builds up, builds up, it, it clears a little bit of the Rajas and Thomas. And eventually you ask the question, eventually you go, I want, I desire. You know, the <coughs> desire is about the shawl. But there's some desire. And then Krishna responds to that. Just immediately responds in some way. And then from then on, you're definitely going to make it to perfection. I mean, if you commit major Vaishnava Parad, then maybe not, but otherwise, you're going to get there. It may take lifetimes, it may take two minutes, that's another thing. Does that answer your question? You said you had it for a long time. Is it answered, or are you still? I can see many purposes I read before you reconfirm that. Yeah, it's not exactly. You're not exactly just dealing with material modes. You're dealing with something that's not exactly like the material modes, because this can happen directly from the mode of ignorance. You don't have to go through sattva, like Ngrari the hunter didn't go through sattva. Um, the prostitute who tried to tempt Haridas Thakur didn't go through sattva. So it's not, Jagai Mali didn't go through sattva. So it's not that you have to go from Thomas to Rajas to sattva. We're not talking about sattva. <coughs> Some, something sparks the I want of the soul. And that something is almost always, I'm not going to say always, but it is almost always some contact with somebody who's not in Maya that attracts us in some way. And we, 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 we demonstrate that attraction in some way. We kind of, you know, we, there's some... In the beginning, it may not be a strong enough attraction. That's why it may have to build up. It could be. You could see a, you could meet a saint person one time and immediately have a strong enough attraction to start bhakti. That's like what happened with Magrari. I mean, even that prostitute took three days, but it's only three days. It's not three lifetimes. But for many people, it's going to be three lifetimes. You know, in one lifetime, they have some prasadam. In another lifetime, they read a book. In another lifetime, they open a door for a devotee take so many, so many lifetimes. That somebody else, it may be very, very instant. But generally, it's through that touch with the devotee. Generally. Not, not always, but generally. It doesn't have to be. Krishna can act directly with somebody. Usually he doesn't, because he's maintaining this neutrality. The touch with the devotee, just from a logical point of view, not from like a mystical point of view, but just from a logical point of view, gives us some inkling that there is something beyond our present state of consciousness. That we, that we might want, or that's attractive to us in some way. 
but even on the kind of you know mystical subtle thing the 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 energy from somebody who's who's realized the spirit fully and fully surrendered is different you know we conditioned souls have a constant ego defense going on constant constantly defending our ego constantly trying to keep our ego away from Krishna constantly so we have all this fear lust, fear, anger all the time all the time and that affects everything it affects our physical cells of our body so the mood around a conditioned soul is different liberated soul is a different vibe you could say just sound really awful in New Age but you know there's a different it's different you can you can feel it often you can see it and that that may be enough what to speak of they say something you know like Srila Prabhupada's teachings are not just powerful and potent because they're logical or because they're based on the scriptures but they're infused with this energy of love and surrender. And it's, it's a power to them that sounds all, you know, mystical, but it, it is. There's, there's a potency in, in anything that has to do with somebody who's a saintly person that changes us, that attracts us, that interests us, that we're kind of like, what, what's that? It may not. There are people who they're like, oh, get me away from that. So there's some free will involved as well. It's not automatic, it's not it's not mechanical. But the great souls, I mean, and even the servants of the great souls, even someone like me who's still a very conditioned, very fallen soul. But when we're the, the servants of the great souls, some of their energy can flow through us. You know, I may be a really dirty, clogged-up pipe, but there may be a little speck of the energy from Prabhupada that flows through me. And you may say, oh, I like that, I want that. So anyway, the great devotees, they go, they go everywhere, they're very kind. But even if they don't go everywhere, even you have these great souls who just sit in a cave and chant, there's still some effect on the planet. And then people choose how they want to respond to it. There's still free will. So ultimately it comes from the free will itself. <coughs> so you can say it comes from the mercy of the devotees. The, mercy, the devotees represent the mercy of the Lord. Because the devotees haven't made a vow of neutrality. Krishna has to be neutral, really, otherwise the free will of the living entity is compromised. But the devotees don't have to be neutral. So they can go out and give Krishna Christ, so it's their mercy, but it's still our free will. I have a choice how to respond. So what's the cause? We talk about a cause. You, you can't... 
dissect it like that. I mean, look, even materially, if, if you see some girl and you go, oh my God, I wonder, but some other guy walks past the street, he doesn't think that. You understand? I remember talking to one devotee, he was going to get married, and he said, you know, yeah, you could say she's not beautiful, but she's at least like a six or a seven. And when he walked away, one other devotee looked at me and said, three or four. How do you explain that? How do you explain that, you know, what is that that attracts us? You can talk about cause. So we say it's causeless. We say bhakti is causeless. It's it's caused by the mercy of the devotee. It's caused by ultimately the will of the Lord. It's caused by the desire on the part of the living entity. And it's always existed in our heart. It's not something to be gained from any other source. So in that sense, it has no cause either. So I think, therefore, when you try to, you're trying to dissect the cause, you're going to end up with kind of a conundrum. Like, like trying to understand exactly what is maya. You know, you kind of end up in this conundrum, this paradox. Maya means forget. Maya means not seeing the relationship with the Lord, but the ability of not seeing the relationship with the Lord is related to the Lord. You you end up in this 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 impossible situation. Can we try to say the verse again? Oh, Brahma, without looking. Oh, Brahma, whatever appears to be a value, if it is without relation to me, has no reality. Know it to be my illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. I only suggest that today you read this purport. It is a long purport. Don't read it right after lunch. It is a long purport. It is a very philosophical purport. I suggest you also read the corresponding purport in Adi Lila, chapter 1. And... Uh, this is not something we'll understand in a day or, or a week, but the more that we try to understand it, the happier we'll become, and the more that we'll understand what is good, what is bad, what is true, what is false, what is Maya, what is Krishna, and how do I achieve the purpose of life. Thank you. Bye.